I always had certain goals and plans in mind over time that I, oh yeah, I wanted to get a certain amount of rental properties, a certain amount of cash flow, or a certain amount of wealth. It's just like, I don't really think that that's my outcome anymore. It's, I don't know what's possible, what the top is. I, I didn't picture that we would have this scale of business either. And so if this is there, what's the next thing, right? Like what could we build and we'll just keep going. Welcome to the Joe Momo Presents podcast. This is the Calgary Leader Series. Let's start the show. I'm really excited to have my next guest on the podcast. He's the broker and managing director at Equium Group here in Calgary. Welcome to the podcast, Navaz Damji. How are you, Joe? I'm really excited to be on here. Absolutely. Me as well. Uh, let's jump right into it. How about you let us uh, know who you are and what you do? Sure. Um, I'm obviously the broker at Equium Group. Uh, it's a management company in Calgary. Uh, it started off as um, more an investment hobby thing, but you know it's kind of evolved into a fair-sized management company. So we're pretty happy with the results and we can keep working at it. Absolutely. I heard that uh, Equium Group has about Billions of dollars under management, a few million square feet. And then, but I'm sure all entrepreneurs, like uh, all entrepreneurs, we all have our uh, origin stories. So it'd be awesome to kind of hear how you got to where you are today. Yeah, it's, it's actually probably like, I feel like a lot of people, you never really uh, had the whole uh, path in mind. <laughs> but, you know, I, I got out of university and I took... You know, I took a job at uh, Oxford Properties, which was, uh, you know, it's a pretty large property management company, developer, property owner in the country. And they were looking for, you know, university grads that they were going to hire right out of school. So I, I, you know, I took a role with them. Seemed really interesting. Like, I didn't know anything about real estate. Like, I I didn't have my own property. I didn't have uh, my first mortgage. I had nothing. Like, I was living in my parents' house. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know anything about real estate. And like, I learned a lot. Like, right away, I... Just timing-wise, I was I bought my first rental property while I was uh, once I started that job, and like in our community, you kind of you know if you're in your early twenties, you're not in a serious relationship, you kind of stick with the folks. And you know, I started a full-time job, and my parents, uh, you know, it's like, do I put money towards the house? And my mom was like, no, go buy a, a property, right? Like go buy a rental. So I did, and you know that the learning that I got at Oxford while, you know, starting to become a landlord, you know, kind of got me a little bit more engaged in the industry. Like for, I remember the first year I could have, I could have done anything like, right. You're like kind of like a, a time billionaire when you're that young and you got <laughs> out of school, you can do whatever you want. But as I, you know, learned the industry little by little and, you know, working days at Oxford and then kind of evenings landlording, it, it just become, I became fairly, you know, pretty reasonable at the job and got better at it. And, you know, my career evolved and I, I grew my rental portfolio and I grew my, in my career and I just kept doing more and more and more real estate. Um, I, I had other interests at the time uh, and they kind of just little by little kind of went out the wayside. I spent, uh, you know, at the, at the end of my career working in commercial real estate, I had like, you know, 50 rentals that I was managing with, you know, an employee and we were buying development property and we were, you know, we had all these things going on. So it was like, uh, you know, I eventually like my side business became my full-time job, right? Like it was like, there was no way 
to work in a job while I had like, you know, my realtors making six figures, I'm paying some manager that I'm overseeing, then I'm doing the same job. Like sometimes I'll be dealing with a problem at work and a similar type of problem in my own business, exactly the same, even though one was commercial and one was residential. And so, you know, it, it eventually became obvious that I should probably move on to, you know, work off work myself. And, you know, that's never been, that was never really my objective to, to work for myself. I was never somebody who wanted to be an entrepreneur. Uh, like I, my wife and her parents uh, both tried starting their own businesses and both of them suffered. We, we, like the family suffered pretty badly from, um, you know, that not working out for either of us. So none of us wanted to really be, um, an entrepreneur. It was just, we had built up enough of a real estate portfolio that it was like this, th- th- this could not go wrong. Right. That was our thought process. And <laughs> my last day of work was October 31st, 2014. And everything did go wrong right then in Calgary. Right. And so, you know, a lot of the, um, a lot of the business that we had relied on, like we had a significant amount of cash flow coming from those doors. We had, um, uh, you know, a significant amount of commissions coming in because we were buying more properties that all dried up in less than a year because of the downturn. Right. So it was like pivot, 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 pivot. Right. So, so the first pivot was, okay, we we're, we're not sure where the bottom is. So adding rentals to our portfolio is not a great idea. So there goes the commissions. We're trying to keep everything full, but new market rates. So rents came off and cash flow started to disappear. And the first pivot was just luck. And I'll say it like, um, you know, when I was leaving my job, uh, one of the larger clients um, at the company I was at was looking to make a move. And, you know, my, my boss quit. Um, I gave notice and, you know, they said, Hey, if you're interested in, if you're leaving to start your own company, you're interested in bidding on this, you know, large commercial product property. So I said, absolutely. So I bid, we got it. And that was kind of our first pivot that kept us alive. And, you know, we got some commercial property under our belt along with our own property. And then, you know, we started bidding on more and more contracts, uh, residential and commercial. And then, um, you know, again, that wasn't, um, that wasn't going to solve this kind of scale that I wanted in my head uh, for wealth and growth. So eventually we pivoted into condo management. And then from there, um, at the same time, we were uh, working on development and then the condo management side kind of took off. And like I said, yeah, we have, a, you know, coming up on $3 billion and, you know, over 10 million square feet, which is, I feel like we did fairly well over the last few years, but like we kind of were pushing the situation. <laughs> well, that's awesome. It sounds like uh, you fell into the situation of entrepreneurship and then just took it by its horns and just ran with it. That's, that's really awesome to hear. What sort of skills would you say um, that's unique to you that's helped you become so successful? I don't know. I like, I, it seems like, it seems like I'm going to say what everyone else is going to say. Like we just, we don't really give up. Like, you know, we see a problem in our business and we've seen many, like we've tapped out or, you know, reached a certain amount of scale and didn't know how to, and we just, we just keep working on it. Right. Like we deconstruct the problem and we work on it. And I, I'm just somebody who I think maybe what's unique to me is like, I don't really think about anything else. Right. Like I don't, I have like really no other hobbies. I have no other, <laughs> like whatever my problem is of the week, I, like that's what's playing in my head. Like um, sometimes I'll go to sleep, thinking about something, wake up, thinking about it. And you know, the solution eventually presents itself or you'll try things and you'll just keep testing things and iterate and iterate and iterate into, until you solve it. And the next problem comes along. <laughs> There's always a next problem. That's mm-hmm. for sure. That's a guarantee. But yeah, I mean, if you really enjoy what you're doing, it's not really, what's the cliche saying? If it's, if you enjoy what you're doing, it's not really work, never work a day in your life type of thing. So 
I can, that really resonates. If you really love building the business, being being an entrepreneur uh, every day, although it has its challenges, isn't always uh, work, and it's sometimes um, hard to do that work life balance, if if you will. Yeah, I don't know anything about work life balance. <laughs> Those words don't really mean anything to me. But you know, the funny thing is, like they always say that, like um, if you're passionate about something, it doesn't feel like work. But man. I don't agree with that. I work at work and work and I don't know when the end's going to be, but I always had, you know, certain goals and plans in mind over time that I, Oh yeah, I wanted to get a certain amount of rental properties, a certain amount of cash flow or a certain amount of wealth. It's just like, I don't really think that that's my outcome anymore. It's I, I don't know what's possible, what the top is. I, I didn't picture that we would have, you know, this scale of business either. And so if, if this is there, what's the next thing, right? Like what, what, what could we build? And you know, we'll just keep going. Absolutely. On that topic, um, what would you say success is then if uh, there's always the next, next level, if you will, is, is what does success look like to you? I, I couldn't tell you to be honest. I'm, I'm like that person that they say that should probably get counseling. So they figure out, you know, their why and their what, and, you know, instead of working themselves into a grave, but I, I don't mind, like I'm here to work. Like, it's funny. My, you know, my friends, my parents always ask me, it's like, how do you work this much? And it's just like, I don't really know a different way. Right? Like when my parents got here, they were working like really low end jobs. You know, they were new immigrants. So they literally had to work all the time. And if they weren't working, they're looking after us. You know, they're looking after our parents. I'm like, I work like you guys did. I just have better opportunities because I was born here and I have a degree and, you know, got into the right industry and had a few lucky breaks. But realistically, I do this. I work the same way you guys did. So it's like, it's funny that you asked that because I kind of learned it from you. <laughs> no, that's funny. Uh, in terms of resources, you've mentioned that you, this wasn't really a planned path for you. It's almost like something that you fell into. So what sort of resources that's really helped you along your, your entrepreneurial path? Yeah. Like, like I never really saw the path. Like I always wanted, like the idea was to build wealth, right? Like that was the idea with starting with the rentals and then redeveloping and then getting into development and even taking on property management contracts, it was building wealth. That was really the goal. I just never thought if you were to look back and say, okay, this is the goal and this is the beginning, what this path would look like. I could never in a billion year have guessed, billion years would have guessed this, right? Like it just, and it's going to change, I'm sure 50 more times. Like I've seen, now I'm starting to see that like the path is clearly not straight, of course, and you can't see it. Like I've, I've always worked with like an end, like an end goal of mine and building wealth, right? And so it's like, you know, we're building wealth by buying rentals. Okay, there was a scale limitation. So then we started joint venturing and redeveloping property. So then there was a scale issue. And then we were like, okay, we're going to get into, you know, buying larger scale properties with a fund. And then there was, you know, scale limitations. So then we went into property management, which at our current pace and growth, we feel like, okay, there isn't, uh, you know, a limitation on scale yet, but, you know, maybe we'll eventually reach something where we're like, okay, we're not scaling at the rate we want to, and we'll have to change direction again. Absolutely. Uh, speaking of 2014, um, how has Calgary changed from when you first started to, to now? So I, when I was working, so I worked, uh, let's say 05 to, to 14 uh, corporately. And like 05, lots of excitement in the city. It was crazy. You know, rentals were going, you know, properties were going crazy. Like everyone was moving here. So 05 to 07, wild. Then the Great Recession hit. 
things kind of petered off a little bit, you know, and like, it's a little bit depressing. You always see it at Stampede time, right? Like how much are people willing to, spay, willing to pay and spend partying at Stampede time, even corporately, yeah. right? So 08, everything kind of died, 9, 10, 11. And then 11, we started to actually see activity again, right? So 11, 12, 13, 14, you know, we started to see activity downtown. We started to see, uh, you know, companies blossoming again. And then we hit it again. And then we took, you know, eight years, seven years of pain. And it's nice to see again, like, you know, um, companies are starting to make a little bit of money again. Oil and gas companies have some more cash hiring. You know, we have the highest weekly earnings. We have highest GDP per capita, the lowest unemployment. We're starting to come around to that again. Right. So it's, uh, you see, everyone talks about the boom bust cycle in Calgary. And so I feel like we've, we've had, we haven't had the same thing as the eighties, but we've had some, um, We've had some interesting swings over the years, but the nice thing is people who move here and kind of get used to the the lifestyle, they're not leaving really because, you know, there's, you know, there's a lot of benefits living in Calgary versus, you know, struggling in Toronto and Vancouver. Like there's a huge benefit here. Like you're going to make similar wages, maybe not at the absolute top of the market at the extremes, but the average person is going to make good money here and their housing costs can be like half. And so, you know, there's a lot of disposable discretionary income for you to invest, do things. And some people use it for, you know, leisure, whatever. Some people use it for investment. Hmm, absolutely. One thing that I read about, uh, about you is that you're a big affordable housing advocate. Uh, speaking of affordability here in Calgary, uh, perhaps you could speak more about your more of the social side of things that you're, you're involved with. Yeah, we were, um, you know, for a long time, we were building secondary suites. I think we built, you know, one of the first hundred legalized secondary suites in the city. And at one time, I think over time, we had helped, you know, consulted on or owned or built like 3% of the inventory. And the the thing that I really enjoyed was when we kind of like, we kind of pushed uh, a few people at the city and they were interested as well. To, to, to get around some of the limitations around zoning and try to get more safe suites built. And like, you know, we, we got this nice grandfathering program that came through before the council approved, you know, kind of the changes in the law where, you know, suites are pretty much available anywhere in the city <clears throat> as long as you met certain requirements. At one time, you know, we got suites legalized that were in areas that were zoned RC1, which was an impossible but it was like okay here's some documentation from this suite being there in the 60s so it predates the land use bylaw you know can we just put together a set of rules to make this safe and get like sign off and so we worked with the city to do that which was really something neat and uh, i have one of those suites like an rc1 uh pre-60 suite that we made safe you know we got fire code we met the fire code and made it you know that's those suites were going to exist. Like the affordable housing prices isn't going away. It's just getting worse. So, you know, we'd love to see, you know, more density anywhere they let us have it. But it's always, there's always like, there's one side of the city that says we want, you know, smart growth and density. And, you know, we're looking to limit our footprint and we're looking to have affordable housing. But then the other side of the city is saying, well, we're going to build 16 new neighborhoods out in Seton and all these other places. So, and you can't build this building one story taller because, you know, you can't have one more parking stall. So like, it's, 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 it's a funny thing that the cities do this. It's like, if, if we were giving developers a lot more leeway to build affordable housing, they would, right? Like, it's not like 
if I'm building a building of 10 stories, if you let me build an 11 story and say, okay, these are transit oriented because they don't have parking and they're near walking to an LRT station, that's more value for the developer. Why wouldn't they want to build them? And more inventory leads to, you know, supply and demand, more inventory will lead to more rentals, more availability, but they don't do it. So, <laughs> right. Like on a 50 foot lot in Calgary, you can sometimes fight the city to get two homes or four homes, but you know, there's 50 foot lots that have a high rise on them in Hong Kong. Right. So like, I'm sure there's a middle ground somewhere. (laughs) Yeah. That's the challenge. Just trying to find that middle ground. (laughs) Um, Speaking of uh, what you're proud of, actually, I'd love to know what maybe something we haven't touched on in the interview so far, but something that you're really proud of that that you'd love to share with the, with the listeners. Yeah. You know what? A lot of people, we have not advertised this really at all. Like we don't, it's not on our website. It's it's in some of our marketing materials when we actually pitch business. But this is the thing that I really like that we do is like when you work in commercial real estate, uh, the institutional ownership forces you to handle problems a certain way. And we use those skills to like improve uh, our results in condo. And like, so, you know, we, you know, buildings have come to us and say, okay, this is like, you know, this engineer has given us a $5 million budget to fix this problem. And, you know, our team works with a different engineering group and, uh, you know, our construction project management team. And, you know, we found a solution for like 800K. So that saved those people like $4 million. And, you know, we've done that over and over again, site after site. You know, there was a patio that was shut down at one of our high-rise buildings for five years because the board was like, I can't spend half a million dollars fixing a patio. It's just not feasible. And we found, you know, a maintenance capital solution with a different engineer and our team for like $1,000 a year in maintenance work. And, you know, that's like 500 years of that budget and the patio is open again. And so those are the wins that I like the best. Like when we look at how the business is run is is when we're able to find solutions that save people a ton of money, but still get the results. That's where I'm like, that's what I'm most proud of that we do. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, I always like to ask this question though. Uh, what's maybe one question that you never get asked that you wish you would be asked? I, I, you know, it's interesting. Like I'd love to tell people so many different things. Like I've had lots of opportunities to speak to different groups and it's like, you know, you really, people really need to ask the questions about, the scalability of the thing, right? Like it's easy to say, oh, I want to be an entrepreneur, but like, what are we actually trying to talk about? Like, are you, are you willing to put in the work? Like, do you understand the financial commitments? Like we borrowed money to make payroll because, you know, our massive client didn't pay us for months when we started. And that's just their style. Like they, you know, they take time to set up and they're paying invoices, you know, maybe 90, 120 days. Like, you have to pay people in two weeks. Right? So it, it's, there's a lot of sacrifice time. Like your clients, if you own the business, don't care that you're on vacation. They want results, right? Like they pay you for results. And so, I, you know, I've done conference calls like on the subway in Tokyo. And like, you know, I, I, like when I was away with family at a wedding, I woke up before the kids at like 4.30 in the morning to get ahead of work for like five, six hours before they got up and got ready. And that was my that was my life for two weeks, right? While I was gone, like people need to realize this. It it, it seems cool, it seems interesting, it seems like freedom, but it is not. <laughs> like it yeah. is not. you think so, but it is not. Yeah, what's that saying? You uh, leave a forty hour work week for an eighty hour one to be yeah. an entrepreneur. Yeah, at least I get uh, to wear what I want. <laughs> my last sure. job was very stringent about like suits and ties and like. Yeah, I'll wear whatever I please now. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I um, only have a couple more questions here for you. 
Um, one thing I always like to ask entrepreneurs on the podcast is what's maybe one common myth about your work or even just entrepreneurship in general that you wish would be debunked? I, yeah, the one I just said, right? Like people mm-hmm. thinking that it's like, it seems like it's nice that people have really taken uh, an interest in entrepreneurship and people feel like, you know, that's the path for them. And, you know, th- there's a lot of like public hype around it. And obviously like people have made massive fortunes that entrepreneurs, the ones who make all the money, right? Like you look at the Elon Musk, and the Jeff Bezos, whatever, right? Everybody thinks about that, but it's like, it, he's, he's got that quote, right? I work 16 hours a day and seven days a week and people still think I'm lucky, right? Like that's what it is. <laughs> I work 16 hours a day, seven days a week. Like I'm not like people need to realize like the only way you'll, there's very few instances where somebody's going to be successful without putting in the work, right? Like sure. You have the confidence, you have the timing and everything else. But like you look at all the guys in the tech, like uh, a few people I meet with in the startup world, like they have to work. You're working night and day trying to keep this thing afloat, trying to not run out of money and try to, you know, you get new clients and show the scale and show the viability of the business. And like, you know, then you get into the next level of issues. It's like, okay, the labor shortage is hitting us. Okay. We take on new business, but I don't have staff. It's like, okay, how do I solve this? And it never ends. Right. Like, and it'd be nice if there was both sides of that for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Just always a constant stream of challenges. You just have to pivot, iterate. It's, it's, uh, it's fun. I think it's fun and challenging and exhilarating all at the same time. <laughs> it's for those with ADD. I think because it's like, you can't just show up and do your job. You were like, I need this. I need more. I need more. I mean, I need, what's next. And then that, this is where you end up. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's been a pleasure having you on the podcast. Uh, where can our listeners connect with you online if they want to just connect or even uh, pick your brain? Yeah, I'm always on LinkedIn. Like, uh, you know, I've had a lot of people reach out from there, end up with coffees. Actually, this condo business came from somebody just reached out on LinkedIn for a coffee meeting that he, we were connected to somebody mutual who said, hey, you should talk to them about real estate and their business and sell them some insurance. And, you know, <laughs> reached out through LinkedIn, we had coffee and then we got into the condo business. And now that's like probably 90% of our revenue and most of our staff. So you never know where a meeting is going to take you, you know, take the 20 minutes, have a coffee with somebody, you know, you might just be giving them advice. It happens. Sometimes people just ask for advice in their career. Sometimes people are looking for jobs. Sometimes people are looking to sell you something, but if you can make the time, you never know where you're going to end up. Absolutely. I love that. You never know where you're going to end up. Just take that meeting. Just take that 15 minutes. I love that. Um, it's been a pleasure. I uh, have one last question for you before we jump off here. Um, my last question to you, Navaz, is what does being a leader or leadership mean to you? You know, I, I, I'm not a great people leader. I'll tell you, I'll be honest, like to be the honest truth. Like I meet with, you know, a group of CEOs and a CEO form every month. And I feel like they're all way better at this than I am, but I'm like, I'm like a leader by example. It's like, I'll do the work. I like, I have unlimited amounts of like effort I'll put in, like, you know, we had, you know, uh, my partner's the same way. We had a snow removal company not show up at a massive site. And it was like, the snow was freezing. And it was becoming a, a slip average. We were on our way to his birthday lunch and he sh- was shoveling snow in a suit out in front of a building. I was, and the same example, I was, a, we were at Bermuda Shorts Day next to one of our university city buildings. And I just wanted to show some of the young people, you know, Bermuda Shorts Day, they didn't go to university. I'm like, God, check it out. Like we have a building right next door. Let's go look. And, you know, somebody spilled a massive drink in the elevator and it's seven o'clock at night, you know, clients calling, I was mopping it. 
like right and so they kept the video and they were laughing about it but you just put I, like that's uh, my leadership is my our way of leadership is like we'll lead by example like we'll we'll put in the work we'll never give up we'll always find another way we'll always find a solution but we'll do it and you know if that's the kind of leadership you look for great it works for it well but there there are many other types that i think are way more in vogue these days like and those are not me Hi, I'm Navaz Dabji, and you're listening to Joe Momo Presents. Thanks again for watching the Joe Momo Presents podcast. For more episodes, check out joemomo.com slash podcasts. All right, see you next time.